This program is brought to you by the University of Southern Queensland. Oh my gosh, we're right in that moment now. <laughs> oh no, here comes the music! Hello everyone and welcome to UniLife. My name is James McGuire and with me today, oh my god, who do we have? Spencer Housen, how are you? I can't believe you're here. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so like, excited. I feel you've mentioned me or someone's mentioned me in just about every one of the preceding oh, episodes, so oh, it's been building to this. Every... I've, I've been embarrassed. No. But here I am. Absolutely not. Um, mate, you were an originally a presenter at 4RPH, long-time ABC radio host, current lecturer slash student... At USQ. Yes. So I do qualify to be on this. I am a student. When you you told me that when you're studying your Master of Arts, it's like beauty. Yep. I know this is my show, but I'm like, you've qualified. Like this, it doesn't matter. I would have had you in any way. None of the rest of anything that I've done matters. The main (laughs) thing is that I'm a Master of Arts student. And I'm so excited. I've had such a good day today with it, which we can get to, I'm sure. Uh, Just when, you know, when you put out feelers for something, research, and then people come back and say, yes, it's the best feeling. Yeah, it's so good. Well, Spencer, I'm so excited. For the people who haven't uh, listened to the show before, the structure is I talk about someone's past, their present and their future. Usually it's uni students. So I talk about, you know, high school life, how they're going, studying with uni and then their plans for the future. It's going to have to be a little bit different today. And uh, you know what? If there's if there's anyone I'd like to change up the structure for, it'd be you, <laughs> Spencer House. <laughs> As, as You're I so s- smooth. You're such a smooth, <laughs> generous interviewer. I love it. It's great. So I'm going to start off and ask, where were you born and where were you raised? Uh, born in the north of England in 1972. I lived there for seven years and then moved okay. to Brisbane. That's the simple version of the story. That's very, very similar to Connor. I think he was six, yes. maybe seven. So that's that's very interesting. Uh, I remember talking to Connor. There was a few. Th- there was a few differences that England and Australia had. Obviously, there's many. It's a different country on the other side of the world. Uh, was there any differences that you that you struggled with? Or was there anything like getting acclimated? Like, what was the difference? I think the main thing for me... So, I came from the north and uh, my accent was the main thing. So, I, uh, if I can summons it up for you. So, I come from, came from up north, from Lancashire-like. And, and that's how I spoke. And then, you know... Imagine me as a seven-year-old, oh, from up north, oh, da, da. And that was pretty much bashed out of me at school. And so by high school, more than anything, I had, I had friends at high school who, um, who laughed at some of the, the things I used to say. And so now I have this sort of, I don't know what it is, Indian Ocean half, halfway between <laughs> the UK and Australian accent. If I'm in the UK, people think I sound Australian. And here, people think that I'm from the UK. And I, I'm happy with that. But that was probably the main one. And, and just... Um, yeah, just fitting in. I, I do have a memory of very early on, I went to Tuong State School initially in Brisbane. It was grade five. Oh, no, I went to Bald Hills at grade four and then Tuong grade five. But it was at Tuong one day we were asked, what's your favourite TV show? And I just hadn't watched any Australian TV. I didn't know. And I, I said The Beachcombers, which was a show I've, I don't think I've ever watched. I, I, you wouldn't know it and I don't think I've ever watched it, but I just had, had to say something. And yeah. it's bizarre, 40 years on, like I still remember being embarrassed at not having a TV show I could say was my favourite TV show because I had all my English shows that I still loved. But yeah. I, wanted, I didn't want to talk about them. I wanted to fit in with this, this new crowd here. I, I, I want to say your, your accent is a, is a posh Australian, but I don't know if that's offensive. So, but like, yeah, it's like, because you got that little bit of pom, but you're also you've been in Australia since you were seven. So, yes. so there are diff, yeah, like it's, it's what it is now. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's Spencer. It, that's right. It is. It's a Spencer house and accent. Um, so I did a, I did a, quite a lot of research uh, on you, and you previously said that your best friend in grade six was Carl Sanderlands. Is that correct? He and I, grade six and grade seven, we were at Manly State School. I travelled around a lot, a lot of different schools, but yeah, Manly State School in Brisbane, we were we were besties. Wow. Yep. When's the last time you spoke to him? Um, last time I I'm. Trying to think, um, there might have been a text message um, conversation in the last couple of years. I haven't seen him for about fourteen years. So wow. in two thousand and six, uh, News Corp were interested in doing a story about us because we'd been childhood friends. And uh, Kyle was flying high in radio in Sydney, and I was number one in in Brisbane. And so we did a photo shoot in Sydney together at um, Two Day FM. 
but that's that's the last time I've seen him. But you know, occasional sort of. I, I, I the reason that I continue to text him not because we're I'm not going to pretend that we're friends now. I want him to come and give a guest lecture at the University right. of Southern Queensland. Okay. <laughs> but he doesn't come up here very often. He was up here last year for the the commercial radio awards. Mm-hmm. But he tends to come in and leave as quickly as he can. He doesn't yes. have particularly happy memories of Brisbane. Ah, uh, okay. Well. You'll it's... have to get him on, though. That's his story. You have to get him oh, on my... to talk about oh, all of God. that when, when he's yeah, enrolled I mean... doing a master's yes. uh, or a doctorate at USQ. <laughs> it's it's quite interesting because when, when I think Carl Sanderlands, I think of, like, you know, the Australian Simon Cowell, like the bad the bad guy. What what do you think about his TV and radio persona? Oh, look, I, I think that he's he's just honest. He's honest and authentic. He he um, he's very much like say Howard Stern in in the US and and uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Howard's movie Private Parts, which is the story of Howard Stern, really give would give you a similar insight into Kyle in that Howard had to learn what the difference was between personal and private. And there is a line on radio: it's good to to be personal. It's good to talk about your life. We've you know we've I'm a cat person. I love Doctor Who. It was the you know 57th anniversary of Doctor Who this week, and you know people know that about me. They can judge whether they like me based on that. But then you go from personal into private and the stuff that I would never talk about publicly. You wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about outside my house. Um, you know, we all have private stuff. And uh, Howard in the movie Private Parts, we see him learning where the line is between personal and private. And I think Kyle now knows where that line is. But I think for a while there, he was just being authentic. He just for- would forget that there are half a million people listening to him <laughs> and just talk like he would talk. But... You're always going to offend, and again, this is for him to. You should get him on. You get him on the pod. I'll come on as well if you want. We can, you know, have a good old if, three-way chinwag if, with Kyle. If you can, if you can organise <laughs> well, that. When he comes I'll... to Springfield to to talk to the students, but I think, and, and I've seen him get in trouble over the years, and that's that's the other time when I send him a text, and I'll just say, you know, look, if you want to, if you want to chat with, you know, your old buddy, your old pal from when we were ten. Um, you know, in a non-judgy way, like you know, I know you're a human underneath, and whatever people are saying about you. You know, you might need a friend, an old friend to talk about. And I think if it it ever comes crashing down for him, he might need an old friend to sort of, you know, catch up with again. Thinking about him back in year six and year seven, did you, could you have ever seen that coming? Was he that out, you know, that brandish type of guy when he was a child? The the two of us, we actually would uh, make radio together. Um, We had a, I had a cassette recorder and uh, an old typewriter on the back deck at our place and we would script radio shows and then we would record them onto this cassette recorder. Yeah, they don't exist. The tapes do not exist. Um, And we would get friends to take part as well. Um, the, The only thing I can think of from that time that sort of points to him being the crazy one out of the two of us was I'm there was a we used to ride our bikes to school and my place was between his place and school and so we would ride back to my place and you know play uh we used to pretend we were on tv as well we used to make um we used to pretend we were on a soap opera called sons and daughters he was he was uh pat the rat and i was the camera operator and we made a big tv camera and i had to film him at my place pretending to be on sons and daughters anyway and then he would cycle home but between the school and my place there was this beautifully manicured lawn or, or verge and we would and i was i'm sure he was the one who was the ringleader we would attempt to cut up that grass with our bmx's on the way home as much as we could without the owner realizing of course realizing and go get out of get off my <laughs> yeah. lawn you rapscallions um so i mean that's the only memory i can sort of put because he was you know we that that's yeah that's probably the only you know we used to lie in, we used to um, lie on the floor in the library and we would get War of the Worlds out, the Jeff Wayne musical, which was quite new then, yep. and we would borrow headphones and plug it into a cassette cassette player and sit in the library listening to War of the Worlds. Um, you know, we weren't smoking out the back or, you know, it wasn't that sort of a thing. Yeah. You were you were just listening and just... Well, taking, such, listening to audio, I guess, though, taking such, in audio. That's such a gem, an absolute gem that... Like to think that you two were making radio as, as kids, and, yeah. then you, and then you guys became who you became. That's well, amazing. yeah. So we were both making radio. He went on to present, yeah, Breakfast Radio. I went on to present Breakfast Radio. He has just signed his fifty million dollar a year contract. I work at the ABC and USQ. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Absolutely identical. <laughs> yeah. 
I actually, I saw him on a TikTok and he's and he was just talking about all the cars he had because oh, there's yes. a, there's this guy on TikTok that will go out to people who are nice cars and say hey what do you do for a living, and Kyle saw him he's like hey I know you you should come to my garage and look at my Mercedes Benz and my uh-huh. Aston Martin and I'm like. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, supposedly, he told this story on Andrew Denton's Enough Rope. Supposedly, uh, because my mum and stepdad owned a Rolls Royce, um, and we were not rich at all. Uh, my stepdad um, was an artist, and my mum had to work as well. But we had this 1962 silver cloud. So it was 20 years old when we had it. But Kyle loved that car that we had. And um, when he had his school formal, we went to different high schools, but when he had his school formal, he asked my mum if she would show for him and his date to the school formal, and she did in this silver cloud, and she went and bought a chauffeur's hat. She thought it was hilarious. But he said in this interview with Andrew Denton that that was the reason he decided he wanted to have lots of cars and make lots of money so he could be like Spencer's mum. <laughs> so we, we, we are to oh. blame, perhaps. Yeah, you're to blame for that. There's so many people that got ridiculed and just destroyed it's by him. And all the fault of me and my mum. Yep. It's all back to you. Yep. Oh, my God. I'm blown away. I'm so excited. You're listening to the Kyle Sanderland edition yeah, of, uh, so, of Uni Life. I'm so sorry. I was just so interested. It's, no, so, it's, enga- so engaging. It's all good. Now, you, you, you leave poor Kyle, go to another high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume in high schools where you started, well, you were figuring out in primary school apparently that you wanted to do radio. Uh, can you talk about how you were figuring out that radio mm. was something you wanted to do during high school? Well, my mum and I moved. My mum and dad split up. My mum and I came to Australia. And I. so I was, if you think about when you were nine or ten, um, you know, whether you would write letters. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it was another era. Anyway, there's no email. But, you know, I, I wasn't into writing letters to my dad, um, but I had this cassette recorder. So I would record letters to him, just record audio and send cassettes to him so he could listen in his car. And, and those cassettes, I started to read from the newspapers. I started to say what the weather was. I started to play songs. At one point, I had two turntables so I could sort of mix songs. You know, at some point, there's this penny drop moment. It's like, oh, my God, I'm making radio. (laughs) Okay, radio sounds good. And we used to have the ABC on in the kitchen every morning, ABC 4QR, as it was, ABC Brisbane. And I just, yeah, decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to be an ABC presenter. I remember, you know, I kept saying I want to do interview song, interview song, like they do on the ABC. That's what I wanted to do. And so once I got to choosing subjects for senior, I dropped I mean, I did maths one because I had to, but I dropped all the other sciences and, and did economics, modern history, Japanese, geography, English, and knew from that point I would study journalism and uh, and that I'd be a radio presenter. Because there's no film, TV, and radio course, I assume, back then. Like, journalism was probably the way into radio. Well, at school, um, at the school that I went to, we had media media studies, was it called? It was a sort of a once a month. Once every three weeks, you had this thing on a Friday for three hours where you could do something a bit extracurricular, but in school hours. And so I did uh, media, whatever, media studies. And... Um, I loved that. Um, Keith Birch was the was my teacher, Mr. Birch, and funny how you still want to call them Mr. Birch after mm-hmm. all these years. Mm-hmm. He's in um, the UK now, and and a, very occasionally and very, um, I, I, very specially every time it happens, he will tweet me about something or he'll respond to one of my tweets, and I I just love hearing from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, I, I guess, he strengthened my resolve to be in the media. And we the Fitzgerald inquiry was going on, I think, around that time, eighty seven, eighty eight. And, and we we would watch, you know, Four Corners um, in class. And so, yeah, that, all of that made me go, this is what I want to be. This is amazing. Wow. So you you study your journalism degree mm-hmm. at QUT. Mm-hmm. What was the official name of the degree? Uh, it's changed there over the years, but I have a Bachelor of Business Communication in brackets, majoring in journalism. So wow. business communication, which has actually turned out to be of much broader usefulness through life than I imagined at the time when I was a bit cranky that it wasn't called a journalism degree. I, yes. Um, because I've realised that communication is at the centre of everything and I studied communication. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago I gave a talk to an association. It doesn't matter what the association is, but they wanted they just, they just wanted me to give a talk on how to give a, web, a webinar... Um, how to give a talk when you can't see the audience 
looking back at you, as is kind of the case now with COVID and, and webinars and whatnot. And I had to think for 24 hours, like, can I do that talk? What is that talk? And then I realized, yeah, hells yeah, this is about communication and what's great communication. And it's just another example of how it was great to have done a broad communication course all those years ago. Yeah, well, because my money's were public relations and media studies. And it was nice because I'm studying journalism and then I'm studying public relations, which is pretty much how to keep journalists sleeping. That's the war. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the war. So <laughs> yeah. it was great to study both sides and really get a broad understanding of media. Yeah. So during your study, do you jump straight into 4RPH or are you doing that um, after your degree? Second year, mid- midway through second year. And I decided I needed to get on radio. <laughs> so I, I remember sort of flicking around the, the, the dial, driving with my mum. This is the sort of the visual memory I have and finding this, this station, which at the time was 1620 AM. And, uh, well, I would listen to the ABC, but, I, but then, and I love, I just love as a kid hearing talkback callers going, am I, am I on, am I on? Yes, you're on. Oh, hello, Brian. <laughs> I, I mean, I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> but but hearing yes this this four RPH radio for the print handicapped as it was called and and then realizing they were in the city and I just I, on my way to uni one day I just walked in I said okay I want a show give me a show I want to, I want to uh, I'm going to do a talkback show for children I want to do a show after school where kids can phone in and talk about their homework and their bullying issues and whatnot uh, yeah. give me the show and they said well <laughs> tell us your name first uh, we don't have talk back and but here's what you can do and i did an audition and i was on air fairly quickly doing the could, reading stuff that we yeah that we could, do you, could you give a quick explanation of what 4rph is and what they do yep founded in uh, 1984 a radio station which turned the uh turned words into audio in the simplest terms uh, the breakfast show back then would be reading the courier mail over the radio, followed by the Australian, followed by the Women's Weekly, followed by the Women's Day, and uh, and I'm now I'm just you know skipping forward a bit, but but we probably don't need to touch on it so much later. Um, I'm back on the board there now. I'm the president, and we've recently renamed it Reading Radio um, because handicapped is not is not a word that's used uh, so much anymore, and print is is actually not a word that's used so much anymore. It's the words. It's online. It's turning all of those words into audio, not just what's printed. And You're so right, we've actually, yeah. we've changed to Reading Radio. So that's an organisation I you know I've been associated with since 1990. Wow, and so proud to be. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So you're studying. Mm-hmm. You're doing reading radio. You take three, four years to finish your degree. Three, yeah. Three? Yep. Are you straight to Rockhampton right after <laughs> you? Like, what, what, what's going Get on Get me there? to Rockhampton. Get me to Rocky. No, I finished. So I, I was a year ahead age-wise because in the UK you start school a year earlier. I mean, now it's different here now. It's all changed. But back then, so I finished school at 16. So I finished my degree at right. 19. Oh, okay. And so at the end of uh, 91, so I'm 19. Remember, I've, so I've been in Australia 10 years. I go back to the UK. I basically say, well, that was fun, but sorry, Australia, I'm going back home now. So I went to the UK and um, sent my demo tapes around. And I got a day's work one day at the BBC in Leicester working in the newsroom. They told me I sounded too Australian. <laughs> and I'm sure I probably sounded both more English to Australians and more Australian to right. Poms back then than, yep. than I do now. And I worked in a bar for a while. And then one day, it was about two and a half weeks pulling beers in a pub in Birmingham, and I realised that Brisbane was actually home. So I came back here, went back to my job, begged them and said, all that stuff I said about you, which was um, a market research job. They took me back, went to reading radio. They took me back and... Spent a year then in Brisbane, yeah, at Reading Radio. And then the following year, 93, there was a job in the paper, Courier Mail, ABC in, in Rockhampton, which I applied for. So, and got. so what were you doing there? In Rocky? Mm-hmm. The job, uh, and incidentally, that, that ad was in the paper on the 6th of March, 1993. Two days prior to that, the 4th of March, 1996, I had my first date with a woman called Nikki. 1993 or 1996? 93. Did I say 96? No, 93 was 90. the first date. was on the Thursday. Two days later, there's an ad in the paper. Go to Rockhampton, Spencer. But And I'm looking at this guy. I just met this girl. It was a really nice first date. What do I do? So I applied for the job and I got it. 
So then we had a long-distance relationship. Um, and then she moved up in the following February to, yeah, to Rockhampton. So about 11, 10 months away from each other? Something like that, yeah. Well, well, we would. she would come up by train every couple of weeks or every three weeks and I would fly down maybe every couple of months. So we'd yeah. see each other, but, yeah, it wasn't easy. But And, and you know, brand-new relationship. And so. that's, yeah, that's at a nuts time to start a long-distance relationship. I think most people would just be like, oh, see you later. See what's going on in Rocky. But, yeah. Or, yeah, they'll, I don't know. I mean, what would you do? Would you take the job in Rocky or would you stay with the, well, stay with the partner in Brisbane? Well, I'm in that situation, <laughs> but I'm two and a half years in. And... Um, well, for me, I'm going to say relationship. I'm not going to be like, see you, Nick. <laughs> but that's a, that's a tough question. Yeah. I, I can't say straight off the bat that someone I met two days ago, um, I'm I'm going to keep in a long distance relationship. That's that's hard to say. Yeah. But you know, I didn't I didn't have the, the butterflies <laughs> and the great first date that, that you had. So we're in Rockhampton. Yeah. Uh, we're pre- we're presenting radio. But we're also, is it copywriting? Is it pre- uh, producing? I was presenting the Friday breakfast show. It's a bit complicated, but the guy who did the the, the weekday breakfast show up there did a, a statewide program on a Sunday. So he worked Sunday to Thursday. So they needed a brekkie guy on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So I presented the Friday brekkie show and I helped to produce the other programs during the week as well. So right. I was I was producing Andrew Lofthouse, who's now on Channel 9. Yeah. He, uh, he was... Uh, he presented a couple of shows in in Rocky at that time, and I, you know, helped out with the production there with him. Wow. Okay. So Andrew, like Andrew Lofthouse, Channel Nine. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we do that for a couple of years. Yeah. We met some amazing people in in Rocky. Like so Lofty was you, was you, one. You've said that you have lifelong friends from right. there. Right. So Trent Chapman, who was recently in Brisbane, um, heading up Holy Moly, the the golfing reality show for Channel 7. He was up here as the supervising network executive for that. Um, oh, we, we were hanging out in Rocky, you know, how many how many years ago was it? How many years ago it was? 27 years ago? Mm. Yeah. Or, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, Carl Stefanovic was was um, working for Wynn in, up there. In fact, he, yeah, we just crossed paths with him. He when, So Nikki worked for Wynn as a reporter and when, she, when we left to come to Brisbane, Carl got her job. <laughs> Um, is, at when is, is Nikki your your wife? Yes, is that, that's your partner. Yes, 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 yes. Right. So yeah. So I, I should have asked in '93 when you met that lady. That become your wife. Yes. Wow. And you, so you've met every single person that I've ever seen on television. That, that's great <laughs> as well. Spencer, who haven't you met? Rocky's um, a lot of people have gone to through Rocky. A lot of people, Patrick Condren, Chris Masters. Over the years, a whole bunch of people, for whatever reason, spent time in Rockhampton. So, do you think that's a major reason why you keep making me leave my family? <laughs> keep telling me to leave my family. It's like, you'll meet Carl! Leave! Well, you've got, you've got to go and do the two years. And the thing is that in the bush, and we you know whether it's Rocky or Tamworth or wherever it might be, um, you, you end up meeting a whole bunch of other people who are in exactly the same boat. Mm-hmm. And then you move on to Sydney or Brisbane and they're all there with you in Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It's just how it works. Yeah, I'm trying to explain it. Like, it's how it is. Yes. Like, it's, it's what i got to do. But it's, you know, it, it, police do it, teachers do it, yes. army do it. Yep. But, but in radio, we have a lot more control over it. Like you, True. I would, I would argue anyway. I, 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 look, I don't pretend to know exactly how it works for police teachers and the army, but, I, you know, you hear about postings and they, they don't have much choice where they're going to go next sort of thing. Because we get to apply what they get told they're right. going That's somewhere. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what, what's the, what's the, how do you get back to Brisbane? Well, we um, decided at the beginning of 96, 95 or sorry, 95, 90, yeah, 95, 96. When did I, you've done the research. No. When did we move back to Brisbane? <laughs> 95. We it moved had back to be Brisbane. 95. It you did two years and you started in 93. Yeah, that's it. So beginning of 95, we just decided we would, yeah, it, it, we wanted to move back to Brisbane. And so we just started making noises. You have to tell people what you want. You can't expect to be tapped on the shoulder in right. life. And, um, and that's a tricky thing to navigate. But by having been there almost two years, I was able to say to my boss, look, I want to move to Brisbane. I'm just letting you know that if something comes up, I want to move to Brisbane. And my wife did the same with her boss. Yep. And um, by then I was presenting the afternoon show across Queensland from Rockhampton. And for me, it was actually all I had to do really was convince them that the afternoon show could come from Brisbane. So I, on the 23rd of June, 95, I did. I said goodbye at 4 p.m., 
in the Rockhampton studio and on the Monday I said hello at 2pm from a Brisbane studio and the <laughs> listeners didn't know any different and I was suddenly living in Brisbane. So you didn't have to have a big goodbye, like click over the air because no. you were still doing the exact Did same show? Did the exact show. same show. Wow. Yeah, which I continued to do for a year and a half from Brisbane till the end of 96. Yeah. End of 96 and then is that where you changed to breakfast? Yes. Yes, which is... I think your your biggest you know claim to claim to fame, your breakfast position at ABC. Um, it's hard to ask specific questions because you were there for so long. There's so many different things that I want to know. So chuck them at me, and if I'm go- if I'm going too long, tell me to keep them short. <laughs> your time as the as the breakfast host. Can you tell me about some of your favourite memories? Uh, well, I mean, it was you know it it's a. It's an it's a powerful position to be in to be a breakfast presenter because most listeners to radio listen at breakfast time. Generally, in a radio station, it means the best interviews are heard on the breakfast show. I mean, that's just generally what happens. So, I was I'm a big Doctor Who, Monty Python, goodies fan. That sort of era of British television. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, and had the chance to well initially interview Michael Palin of, of Monty Python fame, and then a second time there was one day he actually spent a whole day at ABC Brisbane doing a bunch of interviews for everywhere else around the country. But he was doing them from a studio in Brisbane, and I still remember in between each of the interviews he would just wander around the office and he was flicking rubber bands at us and just <laughs> filling in time. So you know we're just hanging out, which is amazing, and and then many. Years later, when I was doing the drive show, we did a series of outside broadcasts from ABC shops, when we used to have ABC shops, from the window. I wanted to do a series of in, of shows in the windows of ABC shops at Christmas. Michael Palin happened to be in town. He came along to Carindale, and we sat in the window of the ABC shop in Carindale reciting Monty Python sketches in front of a live <laughs> audience. Um, that was pretty special. And and the, the equivalent, you know, for, for my love of goodies and, and Doctor Who as well. I mean, I've interviewed several doctors... And companions, all I think I've interviewed all of the goodies. And when you say doctors, you mean doctor like for Doctor, doctor Who. Who, yeah, yes. Doctor Who doctors, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure you've interviewed many doctors as well, but no, doctor, yeah, doctors, yeah. doctors Who, um, uh, and Russell T Davis, who was the executive producer for for a while. I mean, that's just you know one one example story. I was interviewing Matt Smith just before he became Doctor. Oh, he had just been named Doctor Who. He was on the phone in New York doing a, all the press interviews. And he, he openly admitted he didn't know anything about Doctor Who before he took the job, which makes a Doctor Who fan cranky because right. his predecessor, David Tennant, was a big Doctor Who fan. Yeah. So Matt Smith doesn't really know what, all, all the canon. And, and so I ask him a question, like, you, you're the 11th oh, Doctor no. or 12th Doctor, and what, what's going to happen when, the, the, you know, you get to the 13th because we know that the Doctor can only have 13 lives. What's going to happen? What do you think should happen? Anyway, he goes, Russell, come <laughs> in here. Russell. And I go, what's going on? He goes, hang on, I've got someone who'll have the answer. And he puts Russell T. T Davies on, who's the executive producer, who I, I actually thought was more of a god than Matt Smith. Right. And I go, Russell, what? hey, man, <laughs> what are you going to do when you get to 13? Because it would be up to him, not up to Matt Smith as the actor. And uh, and he go, he just gave this wonderful answer. He said, oh, well, when we get to that point, Spencer, I'm going to do what you know what is always expected and what's always been done through the history of Doctor Who. I'm just going to make something up. And he said, I'll put you back to Matt. Well, that was, you know... You can, as a Doctor Who fan, all of that oh, was just so exciting. I couldn't even imagine. To most listeners, they'd be like, what just happened? <laughs> but that was one of my... You asked me what my highlights are. That was a highlight. I remember you also spoke about not like, you know, you had the, the fanboy interviews that really gathered your attention. But you talked specifically how you really enjoyed putting people on radio that really didn't expect to get on radio. An example you gave was an old man who ukulele. played the ukulele. <laughs> So I'd love for you to tell that story, oh, well, even though I've heard it like three times. Is that in other interviews, is it? Um, I, the one I found, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, that's the other beauty is, I mean, I just always carry a recorder with me. And these days <laughs> it's, your, it's your phone anyway, but I would always carry a recorder with me. Like, you, like you seriously came to the pub the other day and you had a microphone. Did and, I? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. And, it's like, and I said, you, you carry your, wo- your phone, your wallet, your keys and your microphone. microphone. Right. <laughs> you never know. And, you know, I've been on holidays in, in London and walked. We were at Covent um, at, um, um, I can't think of the name of the place, uh, Notting Hill. And, and, you know, we walked around, the, around this corner and I could hear this harp, the, the, like harp music. And, 
And I said, that, there's, there, no way, no way. Could that possibly be? We walked around the corner. I go, Nicole Dennington from Kenmore. <laughs> I've had her on my show and she's like busking in London. She's like, hey, no way, Spencer. Wow. I pull the recorder out and I get an interview, which I play when I get back home in, to Brisbane. So I always carry a recorder. But um, And similarly, look, I, as a breakfast presenter, I used to give talks a lot at, at national seniors clubs and retirement villages and rotary clubs, etc. And those clubs generally have a guest speaker and they normally have one of their members who gives a, a talk as well about their life. And this guy was, I don't know, 90 if he was a day and he, he got up to say he'd, he'd just learnt the ukulele and it was his first public performance. And, he, and as he gra- went for his ukulele, I... So this is what you do. You, you, you assess. I'm, I'm at the back of the room. I'm never going to pick up the ukulele from here. Mm-hmm. But you go, he's in front of a mic. All right, where are the speakers? Normally yep. in the ceiling. Aha, uh-huh, there's one over there. I grab my mic as I dart over to the microphone at the ceiling, hold my hand up as high as I can just as he starts playing. Got it. Got the whole song. Then afterwards approached him and said, hey, can we do an interview? And he was like, sure. And then... You know, put him on the radio. And and family were ringing up saying, when's the interview with oh. Granddad going to be on? And so, yeah, those moments are special as well. I know how much, like, just... I know how much it means to my grandmother to even just do Phoenix and to do the things that I do. Because um, radio was... It's it's such a big... It's such a big thing, especially to the to the older generations. And, um, yeah, I could, but, only, I could only imagine how his family would have felt. And... You know, we we collected. Um, there was there was a teacher, Gemma, I forget her surname, at at Shaler Park State School, who wanted to show her students what she was a grade seven teacher. She wanted to show her students what a million of something was. Have you heard this story as well in all the interviews you found about me? I so, might have, but I can't remember. So she she because it's hard to imagine as a kid uh, what a million is. Like you oh. you see a million blades of grass or you see a million grains of sand, but where does the million start and where does it finish? So she had this idea that her students would collect the plastic bread tags from the tops of loaves of bread. Yep. And she would collect a million of them. And... Um, and then the kids would know. Anyway, and then she came to us when she needed another 850000 or something. Um, so we put the call out on the radio. Ash Bradnam from Nova heard me talking about it because he lives on the coast. He would listen to me as he drove up to Nova every morning. So Nova were talking about it. Next thing, the ABC shops are collecting these bread tags. And, you know, we helped them get to a million bread tags. To this oh. day, I've still got, I've got some in the mail like a month ago. And we're, talk, we're talking probably 14 years ago that I did this. A month ago, uh, a packet arrived in the mail which had been redirected from the ABC in Brisbane. Mm. And it was, and it's, I don't know if you're still after these or not. And it was a packet of plastic bread tag. And for the record, no. <laughs> no. Stop, stop it. Leave him stop alone. Stop sending me bread tags. <laughs> I, I did hear you discuss a story where you had hundreds of thousands of bread tags just sitting in the studio, uh, not in the studio, but like at ABC. And you're like, how do we get rid of these? And just by absolute chance, you found someone. Well, that's because I see, I didn't think they were going to get to the million. And so we, I, and I should have just trusted the kids and let them do it. But I, I said, can we, I said to the ABC, can, like, can we buy some bread tags? I got permission to buy brand new bread tags. And so we bought 200,000 bread tags or something brand new. They come in boxes and they're very tightly coiled. And, um, yeah, we took them to the outside broadcast for the last day of school where we were going to, you know, do the big congratulations. And when we arrived at the school, they came running out saying, we made it. We we got to a million. And I had to say, Dennis, you can leave the leave the boxes in the van. You know, the big boxes. Leave. We, we won't. Yeah, those, we won't need those. And so we go back to the office after the show and we've got 200,000 plastic bread tags. You... you... <laughs> It's oh, you'd be so upset because there's nothing you could do. But you did discuss an idea. Uh, <laughs> well, for ABC listeners to um to meet up with each other, I guess. I so we had been giving away as as prizes uh, pencils that had my name on, and we called them Spencils. And incidentally, sidebar: this was before there was a stationary chain called Spencil. That company was started by a guy called Spencer, who is in <laughs> Brisbane who emailed me one day and said, I, I don't suppose you've copyrighted the word Spencil. And I went, lol, no. <laughs> and now he has a whole stationary empire called Spencil. But we had these pencils called Spencils. And I, yeah, we had all these bread tags. And I said, and we they wouldn't take them back. We tried to send them back to the company. They wouldn't take them back because hygiene, whatever. 
And, uh, and the problem with the ABC is you've got to answer to the Senate Senate committee, you know, or the, the Courier-Mail test. You can't just waste money on 200,000 bread tags and not be able to explain to the public where they've gone. Can I ask how much that costs? <laughs> How do you how do you gauge how much bread tags are? I think they were, I think it was only about three hundred dollars. But even so, you've got to. So I said, look, here's what we'll do: we'll make them our prize for next year. We've had the spencils. Well, they're all they were they were red, so they were the, the right corporate color at the time. And I said, I will um, initial uh, and even number each one, and we'll send them out as prizes. And we've had the spencil. Uh, now we'll have the Spencer bread tag. So we'll we'll call it the spag, and we'll we'll give out spags as prizes. And my producer's sitting there looking at me going, yeah, and? Like, she wasn't convinced. And I said, and? This is what will encourage people to do. If you go to a coffee shop and you have won a spag, you will pull the spag out of your wallet and you'll put it on the corner of the table and you'll be able to look around the coffee shop. It'll be like a secret code, a little secret handshake. Everyone will know where the ABC listeners are because of all the spags on the... Yeah, well, obviously we didn't do it. Otherwise, you would have a spag. <laughs> And I just, I can just see you <laughs> initialing two hundred thousand yeah. well, bread tags one at a time, you know, you'd... and you would have died a young man. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine initialing anything two hundred thousand times. No, but anyway, uh, fortunately, my producer still wasn't keen. But we had a yeah, a phone call from a charity um, at the beginning of the next year, and they take loaves of bread and they split them into two half loaves for people in need, and they said, we, I don't suppose you have any of those bread tags. <laughs> they got 200,000 brand-new <laughs> plastic bread tags. And yeah. so I'm now ha- I'm happy if I have to ever go to the Senate inquiry to uh, answer for that $300. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I want to ask, like, would, what, what were the main struggles of being ready? Because I've asked you about how the great moments, i got to ask you about what was the tough, what was the tough part? I think... Uh, prob- well, probably over time that might have changed. It might be different over time. But um, I guess what comes to mind now is the difficulty of the pressure, the ratings pressure. It's you know it's it's said whether you, whatever you might be number one in, you know number one football team or or what have you, it's harder to stay at number one than to get to number one. Um, and I don't know that that's true, but it certainly is. There's pressure on you to stay at number one. It's it's a lot harder to hold the belt in a boxing setting than become the champion. Right. Okay. So and and the you know the newspapers they kind of sit there. The big, I, you'd you'd win survey after survey after survey after survey, and the balloon got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The balloon being the Courier Mail just waiting. Waiting, waiting, bigger, bigger, waiting, bang, 97.3 dethrones the king of radio. You know, they were within seconds, it was on the website. Um, and you just knew that was going to happen. And then because the ratings in radio are every eight weeks, you've got to live with that for eight weeks. I mean, the benefit of Did that it... is you live with the win for eight weeks, but you also live, live with the pain for eight weeks. Did that, like that story you're talking about, did that hurt you? Like, did like, that really upset you in the career mail? Was just waiting for your demise. Um, well, I think it 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 was upsetting. I mean, it did. Yeah, I you know I can't point to a specific day when that happened because it happened more than once. Because you know I wasn't number one consistently. Like there were some years that I did the whole year. So 2011 I won every survey. 2013 I won every survey. But but the other years there was always a you know one survey in there where B105 beat me or whatnot. And there, those were the days you're like, oh, all right, come on, come at me, come at me. And yeah, sure it hurts. Yeah. Would there be pressure internally when you lost those surveys to like, like, is it like, is that when people are like, all right, we got to start changing things, or like, would you given, we given slack? Like, it, it's, it, it seems ridiculous that you'd you'd lose a survey every now and again, and you'd have pressure. On you. Yeah, no, and I would, I would say um, that before I was, before I was number one, so two thousand and six was the first time I was number one. And that was after I had presented breakfast for five years, four years in the 90s and then 2006. Prior to that, I don't think anyone thought we could ever be number one. There was just never – it was never about being number one. It was always – frankly, it was about being 10% of the of, – that, that was kind of the thing. We wanted to be 10%. Um, once we realized we could be number one, there was a little bit more expectation to be number one all the time. But it wasn't – I mean, I'll, yeah, to be honest, if we were number two, I, I still felt the love, absolutely felt the love internally. Okay. I really want to like what what was the main decision for you to for you to stop because just I still think you're a young man. You may you may say otherwise, <laughs> uh, but I did feel old at the time. I actually I was 44, 
and I felt old. Probably not helped by having a producer who was an amazing, she was an amazing uh, ball of energy. Um, she was, how old would she have been at the time? Um, I don't know, 27, something like that. And I, I guess I, I did feel it was time to sort of, yeah, move over for a younger person to to take over the program. And I sort of had this dream as well. I, I started to get really interested in diversity in the media. And I thought, why, you know, that, that I remember saying to, to someone, another powerful white guy, and um, privileged white guy, some of us are going to have to move over. Some of us are actually going to have to give up our positions in the world in order for more people of color and more women to and, and people of different diverse backgrounds to take some of our positions. And uh, and this person said to me, well, do it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, um, oh, I kind of did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so they replaced me with another, you know, white guy. Um, but he uh, did trace it at, at the time because the person then that replaced him was a woman. And the person that replaced her, I think, was a woman, if not a woman of colour. So, like, it did actually have a flow-on effect. But that was one of the things that played into it. But also, I just wasn't having fun. And I'd, um, my producer left. So that was a big thing. Like, we, were, we worked really well together. So that was just a big... The idea of starting afresh with a new producer, having to teach them, or just, you know, it was just... Everything sort of came together. And I'd had this thing about wanting to teach a few times I'd gone to QUT on their open day and I'd sat in on the education lectures thinking I wanted to be a high school teacher. And then we'd, they'd always get to the bit about how you have to teach Shakespeare. And I'd be like, yeah, cool, I'm done. I am happy with my lot and I'd go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I started giving guest lectures at QUT in Griffith and UQ and, and University of Southern Queensland. And I just all... I just clicked for me. I was like, I can do the teaching thing and I don't have to teach Shakespeare. Uh, it's called teaching radio at university. So here yeah, I am. There it is. And it started off very small. I mean, I came here and I said, I basically asked for a job. You've got mm -hmm. to ask for what you want. Mm -hmm. You don't get tapped on the shoulder. And I came and spoke to um, he who also gets lots of mentions in this podcast series. So I feel I should mention Dr. Ashley Jones, the legend, the man. Uh, I said, I'm interested in teaching. If anything comes up, let me know. And, um, you know, it's, uh, here we are. Um, I, I want to get to that, but I want to, I want to go back a little bit and talk about diversity because I see you consistently through your platform, which is your Twitter, discuss women in media and, and diversity. But my question is, like you said that you were replaced by another white, I assume, privileged man, right? Say that, say that man was the, was the best man for the job. He had the most experience. He was the best well fit in comparison to someone who was either a woman or someone of color. Would you have picked that man or would you have gone for someone who was more diverse but didn't have the experience or wasn't as well suited for the position? So this is something that plays into my, what I've been doing for the ABC for the last three years, which is around talent development, including hiring. And it's something that I think a lot about and the ABC thinks a lot about. Because often there are a couple of um, ABC presenter jobs at the moment, and the what we know is that they that most of the applicants will be uh, white because the AB, there's just this thing about the ABC it just just doesn't feel welcoming to people of diverse backgrounds, and it's something the ABC is very very serious about at the moment. So. Absolutely, someone has to be able to do the job. Absolutely, they have to be the best person for the job. But so, what I would, what I'm interested in, is going further up the pipeline, which is part of why I'm here at the university, and why I love engaging with high schools. And uh, it's about encouraging um, people with diverse backgrounds at high school to study radio, yeah. so that they will come to university and study radio, and they will be equal with. Um, white white students who are studying radio so that when they leave here and they apply, then there's going to be the opportunity for someone who's very good, yep. has a diverse background, to get those jobs going forward. I think it has to, the talent pipe, it has to start further up the talent pipeline. Now, as I was saying, USQ, Dr. Ashley Jones, he's like, fine, you can come and be <laughs> the best. Now, like... You were never one of my lecturers because you are a lecturer in... Is it just the film, TV and radio degree that you lecture for? Could you explain that? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So I teach into... Well, really the radio and TV subjects, mainly radio. Yeah. And the, and the new degree is called a Bachelor of Television and Radio Production. 
Okay. And you know, with with Phoenix Radio, because it, it's kind of it's like it is a part of USQ, but it kind of also feels like its own thing. And I come into it late, but there's kind of this this click, this the you know the, the the group of radio students that all know each other, that all bounce off each other, and all feel you know you're not only a lecturer, but sometimes you feel like a friend as well. Like like you come and have a drink with us. Um, can you? Because we talk about like with everyone who comes on that's done like that is here with Phoenix Radio. They talk about this this connection, this community, this friendship. Um, can you talk about that further? <laughs> well, I I and I do take my lead from from very much from Ashley, but also from the what this university is, particularly in the the media um, the media area. It's very small. We've got a small number of students. Um, you know, I, I, I've given guest lectures at other universities where I look up at 150, 200 students, whereas here we have um, 15, 16 maybe in a, in a radio class. And, and also we've got a lot of students here at, at University of Southern Queensland from diverse backgrounds, uh, not so much culturally as perhaps we could, but definitely socioeconomically and um, and other other areas of diversity, and I think that what I've learned from Ashley is that with a small group like that, you can actually really get to know everyone and where they why they're here, what their journey is so far, and where they at this point because it changes every day for most people where they see themselves going, and and so. Because at the end, when people are finishing or just before they finish, I'm keen to push them then out of the nest and maybe out of Brisbane and maybe which into is, Tamworth or something. what you're doing with me, yes. <laughs> to, to, because I know that's going to be a wonderful experience, although it's very scary on many, many levels. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, you mentioned drinking, going drinking with, with everyone. I mean, that's literally happened twice this year at, at the very end of two projects. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm... You know, I'm I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't get invited to all the parties. Wow. Um, no, <laughs> no, I I think you know there's got to be there's got to be a line. Um, and I certainly at uni remember there was a particular tutor, Kim Doust. I remember drinking with with Kim, and um, you know I think it's a good thing to have a relationship where you can chat um, a, about the bigger problems that maybe you're, you're facing at the time. I feel like if I can speak from my experience, having someone like you, having someone when I was studying, like Ashley Jones was one of my main lecturers and he was really good with, you know, emailing me back like quickly, like discussing with me and actually caring about me on a personal level, which is something that you do as well. You care about me on a personal level, you ask me questions and it just, it pushes me so much more. It makes me feel welcome and it makes me want to come and do this because like, like I'm not I'm not studying. I'm coming here because I'm gaining experience, but I'm also gaining friends. And, you know, I, I come here because I'm welcome here and I've just learned so much from And a it. network. You're gaining a network. And I'm, I would count myself in your network as Byron, yes. who's watching through the glass, is in your network. Yes. And that confirms that they're listening. I thought they might have been. When I said his name, now I know they are. Yeah. Jack Lewis over there, one of our star second-year students at the moment. He's an absolute cracker. You haven't had him on the podcast yet, I have haven't you? I haven't yet, no. no. Do you like poetry? I'm, I'm, I'm about to. <laughs> hey? um, so, you know, it is whether you call, well, you know, there are some friendships, there are some, you know, friends, colleagues, networks. It's, yeah, it's all of that. And and you're coming here and you're, you finish your degree, but you're, you're just getting more skills, which yeah. this place is all about. It's like wraps its arms around people. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you this question? Yes. Have I ever uh, annoyingly messaged you at an annoying time in the, the day or week? Like I, I know my, I think my weakness is if I get an idea like at 11 p.m., like say I want to say to, to you, are you doing your show tomorrow and it's 11 p.m., I'll just send you a message at 11 p.m. I don't know that any other lecturers do that. Is that a, a bad thing or is that an okay thing? I I, re- I really like it because I, I like to think that you're, well, that's going to come out weird. I gotta, I don't know how to. <laughs> um, I like that you're, you're thinking about me at 11 o'clock at oh. night. <laughs> yeah, that's going to really win my head. Um but no, I, I really appreciate it, and I think you can notice by how quickly I respond when I see that you've messaged me. I take that really seriously, and I really appreciate it because it's it's just so 
crazy to think you know like my aunties uncles my parents listened to you for so many years oh. like you're like you're i said you're the spencer house <sighs> and then as i was telling gabrielle and shannon like you're also just hitting me up at 11 o'clock at night seeing how my interview went <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's just uh, it's just so and it's just so crazy like it just it makes you feel it makes me feel like i'm i'm uh, not making it in a sense but like i'm on the right track because I was doing my degree, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I couldn't figure out the lane. I was just kind of throwing darts in the air. Nothing was hitting. Fine Byron, Phoenix Radio, fine you, life goes on. But I found a direction. Like I, I can see I do this, I can do this, I get there, I get to where I want to be. Yeah. So that's... Um, no, it's a pretty cool place here. It's it's the best. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's been my it's been my favorite university experience by far. Uh I want to ask you quite a quite a broad question, and I'll mm. let you really think about it. If you could do your career in radio over again, would you change anything? No, if at all, nothing, nothing, no. Wow, I don't. Well, I don't believe in. Look, I I'm not fatalistic, but everything you do makes who you are, who you are. I mean, mm-hmm. if I go, I, you know, butterfly effect sort of thing. If I had not applied for that job. You know, in Rockhampton, that was in the paper on the sixth of March, nineteen ninety-three. You know, I I may actually have not married Nikki. You know, like, so why would I go back and change anything in any part of my life? Not at all, not a chance. I love that. I didn't think you would have would have changed anything, especially with how successful. No, well, you are. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm very happy and and lucky, and and the right doors have opened at the right times for me, and. I, it would be crazy to go back and change anything. That's it. Spencer, at this part of the podcast, I talk about the future. Yes. And I would really like to know, like, what, what are your plans for, for the future? Well, I'm studying. A master of arts. <laughs> master of arts. Which so, I knew. Yeah. Which what? No, you told me. I was like, which <laughs> I knew. Well, it's, so this is what I'm thinking about a lot at the moment, and it ties into the diversity question. And so I'm, um, I'm researching... Attitudes towards women radio presenters in Australia. I want here's here's how this started. When I finished on the breakfast show at the end of 2016, my aunt, uh, who at the time was in her mid 70s, said to me, "I don't care who they replace you with, as long as it's not a woman." And it didn't surprise me completely that a woman would say that of another of women, because I'd observed over the years that most of the criticism of my female colleagues was from female listeners. And this fascinates me. And so, and then you, you dig around, and it turns out that there's this research, this mysterious research in radio. Uh, it's it's like in a hit secret drawer in every content director's office, and the research says women don't like women on radio, and and so that's been used over the years to stop women having um, prominent shifts on radio. But does that research actually exist? And even if it did, what's the situation in 2020? Do women really not like women on radio? So this is what I'm researching. And I'm just starting out. I'm doing it at master's level. If I were doing a doctorate, it would be a much bigger project and there'd be far more people involved. But I'm interviewing 10 listeners, 10 radio presenters and 10 radio station managers to try to just work out what might be going on there. In, in terms of women listeners and women on radio and this mysterious research. And this is exciting stuff for me at the moment because I've got a couple of key people. Now, I've got to, I can't give names because one of the things I've learned doing research is all the stuff around the way you treat your interviewees. It's very different to a radio interview or a podcast interview. And I'm giving my inter- the people I interview, I'm giving them the option of being identifiable or anonymous. And the two people I'm about to refer to, I haven't yet received back from them the consent forms telling me whether they're going to be identifiable or not. But, oh, my goodness, they are two of the biggest people that I could possibly want to have in my study. So I am very – well, one of them, actually, she has said yes to be identified, but I don't have it in writing yet. So I'd be very careful and not say that. One of them in management, former former manager, very senior, very big media organisation in this country – with a reputation for not hiring women and the the organization has a reputation for and yeah and the other is a very successful um it's it's so rare the position she has that i won't even say any more about what she does because you'll 
people will be able to work out who I'm talking about. Um, but I'm excited. You can see it. I'm sure you can see it in my eyes. And so I've, I'm over the next couple of months going to be interviewing these listeners, presenters and managers. And then I start to pull it together by mid next year into some sort of something. Well, so do you have a current theory as to why or do you really want to get into this research and, and try and understand? Well, just in case my – I've got two supervisors. One is Dr. Ashley Jones. Um, one is um, – one is a theatre lecturer um, here at USQ, and just in case they're listening, what I'm I'm using what's called grounded theory methodology, and it basically, essentially, it's you it's you start out just talking to people about a topic, and you see what emerges from that, and from what emerges, you decide who else you need to interview, and eventually you get to a point where you feel you're not hearing anything new, although you'll never 100% know because you might ask that next person and they might say something new, but you get to this point, saturation point, and then you go, okay, now I can write up the the uh, the report. So to do this properly and authentically, you shouldn't have any theories to start with other than to say what is this thing right. with women and not liking women on radio. Yeah. Now, there, there have been plenty. Uh, having said that, I, you know, I've read a lot of the – the literature and there are plenty of theories yep. so they include um the fact that it's bollocks for, um, is the first one that that it's just been used by men who run the world to keep women you know keep women down yep um is it something physically about the voices you know is it is it that men's voices are easier to understand than women's voices especially if, if it's noisy if you're driving in a car and it's noisy could, could you say with the fact that women don't like hearing women on radio, would that be like a success thing? Like a, like a, like a woman who isn't that successful in her field wants to be like, like, I don't want you to rise to the cream of the crop because I'm not rising to the cream of the crop? And so part of the, so the, the scarcity um, problem is definitely plays into it. So it, it's said in board no, – yeah, it's it, like in boardrooms that – uh, there tend to be on boards. Now, let's say there's a board of eight people. Boards will tend to have a woman because back in the day there'd have been eight men. So they have a woman, and then they go, "Oh, that looks tokenistic. Let's have another woman." And so they have two women, and then they go, "There, that looks good." Now, this is actually a thing. There's a there's a study showing that this is a thing. It's known as tokenism, not token tokenism, where you have two because that doesn't look like tokenism, ah. right? So so then you've got this board where you've got two women and six men. So. It's a bit like a running track where the running track is six, it's three times wider for the men. Like, so all of women are competing for two spots and all of men are competing for six spots. And if you broaden that out to, to society, um, it's potentially exactly what you're saying. So in radio, 80% of presenters are men, 20% are, are women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's quite possible that because there are fewer women yeah there's more competition potentially for those positions and internally uh, it's just in women i mean it's bad it's kind of bad of us as men to be even speculating on this as two white guys yes but so i'm very conscious about that but it's that's definitely a thing this this idea it's they talk about the scarcity um issue and the competition that creates and how it pits women against women yeah and that's absolutely potentially plays into it. Yeah, well, I would I'll apologise if I offended anyone, but I guess I you see that in other fields, whether like like you know like I I watched a lot of things and understand about comedians, and I know there was a time where there's like comedians like to see comedians succeed, even though it's like you know that person, then you can anyway. Well, in comedy, you know, there's this whole saying that women aren't funny. That's oh, a that's, that's a whole other study oh, for someone, isn't it? It's the same. That's not, yeah. That's ridiculous. There's potentially a lot of similarities there. <laughs> so far, it's only like literally, you know, days since I put up a post in a in a radio industry Facebook group, starting to solicit for my research, and I've had a great response already. I, I thought there might have been a few women say, "Hey, white guy, what are you doing this research for?" The so far two pushbacks, and they're from guys, white guys, mm. uh, basically saying, "Oh." You, yeah. Your research is going to be um, just swayed by women saying that women are great on radio. Mm. It's like, wow, okay. okay. That kind of proves the point already. <laughs> no, my, my job here is done. 
Yeah. Uh, Spencer, you are running out of time. So I just want to say before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to plug such as 4IPH or is there anything that you would like to bring awareness to before you? Let you um, go? Well, I, I, um, I'm still at Reading Radio and I love Reading Radio and I think we do a fantastic job there. And anyone who wants to get into radio, I learned a lot there. You know, what you learn at Reading Radio is how to uh, just read scripts sight unseen. You don't have time to pre-read or practice scripts. You're reading straight from the Courier Mail or the Brisbane Times or whatever the publication is. So I would say to anyone who wants to get into any sort of communication or performance or the media, Reading Radio is a great place to, to volunteer. If you want to, you know, come and hang out in these studios with James. Well, see, James won't be here long. He'll be in town with us somewhere soon. But if you want to come and hang out with Jack, oh, no, hang well, Jesse, Jack won't be here that long either, I'm pretty sure. Jack will be around for another year. Uh, come and, you know, look up the Bachelor of TV and Radio Production at usq.edu.au and you, you too can meet and work under the great Ashley Jones. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't plug that degree enough. Spencer, <laughs> this has been absolutely amazing. It's been an honor to, to, to talk to you for so long. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're a very, very skilled and generous interviewer. And I knew that from the first interview of yours that you did in this series. And you said, can I have a podcast? And I said, well, let, let's have a listen. And uh, anyone who's, if you haven't heard any of the other interviews, go back and listen to them because uh, this guy's going to go far. And I'm thrilled that before you left town to head to Tamworth or wherever you might be going, that you had the time to have me on the show. Thank you. Spencer, that means so much for me. Thank you so much. Here comes the music. Everyone, Watch out. <laughs> this is James. That is Spencer. This is Uni Life. Bye now. High-achieving Year 12 students who put the University of Southern Queensland first on their QTAC application could become rewarded. Automatic scholarships up to $29,000 are on offer. Make USQ your first choice and join the number one university in Australia for graduate starting salary. Visit usq.edu.au slash become rewarded for more details.